He came to the states as a director of a biotech company and stayed despite having the option to go back. During his 15 years stay in the states, he's been president of three biotech companies and board member to a few. My guest this week is Frederic Chagall, an immigrant from France whose career was heavily influenced by his dad and his wife. He's known among his friends and colleagues for one attitude. In this episode, he talks about his attitude, his secret, his immigration journey, his obstacles, and how his accent impacted his career. So go ahead, grab your cup of tea, and join me in this episode of Empowering Conversations. Hello, and welcome to the Empowering Conversations podcast, a place to get inspired. Challenged and empowered by stories of immigrants who build their success from zero. I'm your host Mehran. I'm born in France. I was born in France uh, from a French family, uh, and uh, and honestly, we were interesting in travel, but not so much in uh, in uh, in long-term travel and, and immigration. Or expatriation, so very French, I would say. Uh, but at some point in my career, I, I met some international people, and obviously it triggered some uh, curiosity from my side about learning more and uh, about other people uh, and more than what you can learn during uh, just a trip, a vacation trip or business trip. It didn't start really my career with Genzyme, but uh, it was my second company, and Genzyme is an American company based in. Uh, Boston in Cambridge, and focusing on rare diseases and with very special people with the highest commitment to patients I've ever seen in my overall 25 years old career in healthcare. Genzam was not a very big uh, uh, company at the time. I think we were like 30 people in France, maybe less than 300 uh, people in Europe, uh, all over Europe, and, and then a couple of thousand people in the U.S. And uh, so I had the opportunity to come here more and more, and uh, my job took me to Boston and to the U.S. in general on a regular basis for a few years. And then I was thinking about one day why not working at the headquarters, you know. And uh, I've been lucky that one of the first uh, physician was thinking about using some human cells. I mean, from the thigh, from the leg, uh, uh, to uh, reinject them in the heart. Of some patients with heart disease to potentially defeat heart failure was a French guy. Genzyme was very interested in cell and gene therapy at the time, and they asked me to link up with this guy and see if we could, I mean, uh, do our project together. And we did that, uh, and it became a bigger project. Project at Genzyme became a joint venture with another large company, and uh, at the time they offered me to come to the U.S. to continue. To grow the project, I've been started out of Paris originally. So that was a trigger in some ways. I have to say I've been very fortunate because my wife was also very、uh, interested in this type of experience. We were having a happy life in Paris.、Uh, we had、uh, two kids.、Uh, one was eight, the other one was two, and we were like, I mean, Paris is a wonderful city. Working them, working there is a nightmare. But you can enjoy all the Parisian life that you can see if you, if you travel to Paris.、Uh, but so I have to say, without my wife, I'm not sure I would have made the step. And、uh, 
because there is always a difference in between you want to do it and you have to, and you do it. And I think she has been the little sparkle in my life. It's beautiful to say that. Uh, uh, she has been the little sparkle in, 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 in this, uh, in this uh, expatriation. So that was in 2005. So, I mean, you were asking me about the challenges, right? Well, I have to say, I mean, it's a, it's a very nice expatriation. Actually, I started with this uh, status they call in companies uh, expatriate, you know. And uh, so Genzyme treated me uh, very well. So compared to other immigrants in this country, I have to say, I, I've been super, super fortunate, you know. And that's something I will obviously remember all my, all my life. Nevertheless, I think uh, moving to another country, brings challenges. And I remember one guy uh, I was respecting a lot. Actually, he was my wife's mentor. He told us, one, when you change something in your life, don't change too many things at the same time. You know? And uh, it's an advice I've been following a lot. And if you change job, don't change wife. Or if you change wife, don't change language, uh, the, wor the work language. I'm kidding a little bit here. But uh, change can create some imbalance and you want to make sure there is not too much imbalance if you want the chance to be successful. Here I was staying with the same company, I was staying with the same type of job, but the, the language was uh, uh, different, you know, and, and it was a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say I was, I was scared by that because I was going up to the US once a month and my English was decent. It's not exactly the same than you have to be working in English all day long. It was originally one of my challenge, my accent, and my goal when I came in was like, you know what, in three months, I will uh, speak like an American guy, like a Bostonian, you know. We are 15 years after, and as you can hear, I'm not. But now I would say I gave up, you know, and I think it's part of who I am. Well, the other challenge, I, I, it's, I mean, it's, there are not challenges, I mean, big challenges, I would say, but I was thinking about that before our discussion. And so obviously it's a different culture, you know. Uh, everything is organized in a slightly different way. And when you are, as a very French person, you, you don't understand why things are, are not organized here as they are in France sometimes. I'm talking about the way you, you walk through a supermarket, you know, or all the administrative process you have to go to or, or not. Some, of, some things are much easier here. Many things, I have to say, are much easier here. But uh, the, the way people interact with each other also, it's kind of a challenge, you know, people are very friendly in the U.S. compared to France. But maybe sometimes you don't go, uh, I mean, you, you, can, you can surface a relationship very quickly, but to go deeper, it's a little bit more difficult. And, and for us, it has created, it's not a challenge, it, it's more, took some time to get, um, to get used to it. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious because you mentioned the accent and that's something that many immigrants face. You know, they always have that, they set that goal for themselves to speak in accentless English. Have you ever felt that that was a barrier for you in your professional growth? For my professional growth, maybe not, but to be able to say some professional experience, specific ones, maybe yes, yes. Uh, and uh, none being a native English speaker, uh, sometimes can be a little bit of a, a challenge, I think, at every level, I would say. Can you share with us some of those challenges? 
when you apply for a job, you know, and depends who you are talking to. But uh, I mean, I've been very fortunate to come here as uh, an executive in a very successful company. But uh, when I decided to leave this company and talk to others, uh, I met some people who, who I'm sure believed my English was not good enough to represent the company or my accent was too strong, the, although very charming, but too strong to represent ad- adequately the, the company. I, I'm not sure I, I, I faced it directly, but in a retrospect, I would say I, I, I can see some events in my life where, I'm, uh, where I may have not been given the same opportunity because, because my English was not absolutely perfect. perfect. Mm-hmm. So it might have been true, it might have not, it might have been, but that's something that you felt could have impacted you at times. A little bit. Yeah. Sometimes we immigrants set high, unrealistic goals for ourselves. An example is the idea of speaking an accent-free English. As Fred mentioned, we are fearful, fear of judgment. What would others think of me if I speak with an accent or if I make grammatical errors? I have invited guests with amazing stories who declined the interview because their language was not perfect. And it saddens me. It makes me think of all the other opportunities they turned down because of their language. Coaching tip. Do improve your language. Do reduce your accent actively, but live your life meanwhile. I always say to my clients, it's not your English accent that limits your growth. It's the relationships you don't make because of it. How about a recent challenge? So I told you I I came for this company called uh, Genzyme. And uh, here I had 10 wonderful years. Uh, they treated me, I mean, very well. I had the opportunity to grow in the organization. I've been given a lot of opportunities and so on. I didn't leave Genzyme because I was uh, unhappy. I left Genzyme because I was, I'm very much an entrepreneur, I think. I don't fit very well in, in large organizations. And when you are living in the biotech industry in Cambridge, there are so many biotech opportunities that it's difficult to resist at some point. And also, when I, it was time for me to leave, I remember my father who told me many times, he wish he had started this company and he never did it because there is always a good reason to do it. You know, your kids are going to college, uh, something can happen in your family or another opportunity uh, in, a, in a large corporation. And, uh, and at the end of the day, I, I mean, it was at the end of his uh, professional career, looking backward and said, that's something I haven't done. So I was about 40 years old when, when I, I had this opportunity to leave Genzyme to join a startup company. And, and uh, I, I think it was the right time to do it. I mean, the first big challenge I, I, I faced is I left Genzyme a week before the crash of the Lehman Brothers Bank in 2008. So before the world fell apart, you know, and when you go to a private VC-backed company with not a lot of uh, funds, when the market is not good, it makes your life very, very difficult. So as somebody who has never been a CEO, never raised money, never been on the top of a, I mean, an organization, which means there is nobody 
upstairs that you can go to when you have a problem you don't know how to solve with. I have to say it was a, it was a pretty uh, intense challenge, which uh, which has been emotionally and physically uh, intensive. At the end of the day, what I've learned, there is always some light uh, at the end of the tunnel, and our goal is to find this light, you know, and uh, that's been difficult for the company I, I joined. Uh, we, we, nevertheless, we had to take some very difficult decisions, uh, such as uh, asking people to leave the company while their performance was good, but it was just because we didn't have enough funds, and, and it was, for me, one of the most difficult things I ever, ever had to do. And nevertheless, we we uh, survive. It was very, very much surviving, being on furlough, not being paid full salary for a while. But we've been able to attract uh, investors' interest, re, re, uh, refinance the company, redevelop new projects. And, and very fortunately, a few years later, the company got acquired by a larger company. Um, so that was one challenge. Another one I'm facing now. You know, I'm still the CEO of a company. Uh, we are uh, now a public company, and I've, I've been with an uh, outbreak. Uh, it makes, obviously, everybody's life very, very difficult. I mean, one hour would not be enough to list all the challenges I'm facing. Uh, but I think my previous experience taught me a lot, uh, and maybe taught me some uh, reflex that I've, I've taken as soon as the, the sheltering place started and which I think uh, uh, allowed us uh, to be in a good position today and hopefully stronger at the end of the outbreak than we, we were even at the beginning, you know. Uh, interestingly, uh, this, uh, this, some decisions were very questioned by my team because we couldn't see the sense of urgency. And that's the reason why I say maybe what I've lived before 10 years ago, 12 years ago, helped me a lot to, to react quicker than uh, I would have reacted if I've I've not gone through uh, this type of uh, uh, difficult financial environment. So let's say I joined a you know startup or I've started a startup recently, just like how it happened for you in 2008 and all of this happened with you know coronavirus outbreak and all the challenges that we're facing and it might impact me and my company. What are some lessons that you could teach me based on your previous lessons to survive it? I, I think one, one thing we say in this country uh, a lot, which would apply very well to your question, is cash is king. And I think when these type of things happen, it's very important to look at where your current resources will be able to take you. And, and since with COVID-19, we still have no clue how long it's going to last and what the overall uh, economic impact will be on the United States, but the whole world, you know. So I think being in full control of your resources at this time is definitively an advice I would give you, you know, and trying to expand this, the runway of your resources uh, in the best possible way. And sometimes taking difficult decisions, as I said before, would be my, my, maybe my first recommendation. We all have regrets in our life. Do you have any? You don't. <laughs> of course. I don't I, I Because like, okay, so we all have regrets in our lives. Do you have any regrets that now you look back and say, I wish I did this instead or I wish I did this 
more or less of? So the I wish I did this instead, I don't think I have many and I, nothing comes to mind because I think what you do, the decision you take at the time is fed by your experience and the data you have at this time. You know? And uh, so looking backward and said, I wish I would have done that instead of that is not, in my view, very valuable, you know. It's life, and uh, and from the decision I've taken, which was the best decision at that time I, I could take, I am more interested in trying to extract the the good things you know I've learned. And coming back to the example I was talking about a little bit earlier, I wish I would have not left Genzyme in a very comfortable position a week before the crash of the Lehman Brothers Bank. I think I would not be the same person I am now if I would have not done it, you know. But the wish I would have done more of that, yes, I have, you know. Uh, and uh, for example, I wish I would have spent more time with my family because we are not reminded enough that we should take as much uh, time as possible with people you love while they are there, you know, because when it's gone, it's gone. One thing you cannot... Uh, retrieve its time, which, which has passed. So yes, I wish I would have spent more time with my, my kids when they, when they were younger, you know. Uh, maybe also a slightly different time with my parents when I was uh, younger and they were younger. But um, I, would, I mean, is it a real regret? I think regret is a very strong word and maybe it's some translation issue here. But uh, even in my some other negative experience I've taken professionally, for example, I, I always try to look at, uh, keep the positives with me and learn from the negatives. Maybe I was a little bit like that before I came to the US, but I think that's something I've very, very much learned about this country too, is keep going, there is something better further. Looking back 25 years ago, when you started your journey basically your professional journey. Did you ever think you would be where you are today? I don't think so. Um, 20, before I started my professional journey, I knew, so I'm a physicist by training. So nothing to do with biology, which is what I'm dealing with for the last 25 or 27 years, whatever. Um, I, uh, I knew at the time I wanted to work in an environment where science, some type of science, would bring some value added to the product, whatever the product is. I ended up in the healthcare industry a little bit by serendipity. One night, uh, my father didn't feel good. I was living in his house. I called the um, emergency. A physician he came, he asked me to drive him to the hospital. He was, he was having a heart attack. Then he got uh, uh, taken care of by, by the physicians at the hospital. And uh, because I was very interested in, in learning about what was going on, I reached out to a lot of my friends who were at the time in med school and said, this is what the guy told me, this is what I read on the bed, bedside and so on. T tell me more. And I think it has been a, a, one of the events in my life when a few weeks later, after applying to a job, a sales rep job 
in a medical device uh, company, I said, you know what, versus uh, Xerox, which was at the time a great company and very well known to be a great sales uh, training company, you know, or I had an opportunity to go to a, a yacht company, selling boat company, and it was one of my passion at the time. Uh, I, I thought this event took me to the medical uh, or healthcare industry. So before that happens, I didn't know. So it's about the field. And as I told you also, my encounter with uh, Genzyme was also a life-changing experience in my view. Being able to bring a drug you know, to patients and family who have one day discovered, I mean, one of the child was having a disease. It took multiple years to really, to finally be able to put a name on, uh, on this disease. And when, and that the minute after you put a name, you learn that there is no treatment. And if you can contribute to what happens after, I, I think it's, it has been to me a life-changing experience. And it's still my motivation to go to work every day. You know? so, uh, so that's something I didn't know. Uh, I would be driven by uh, 25 years ago. And, and, uh, and same for the US. I mean, as I told you, I was, I love France. I was very French. I love the food. I love the wine. I love the, you know what I've been missing a lot from France, we don't have here too much, is this um, social dinners with friends for hours around the table. We call that, we are redoing the world. I'm not sure the impact of the discussion is huge, but it's playful, it's, it's warm, it's a, a lot of friendship, can last very long at night. We have been able to recreate here with some, some, some French people, but that's something which is not embedded in the American culture, in my view, the way it is embedded in more Latin culture, like France and maybe Spain and Italy. My next question is about how did being an immigrant or expat impact your management style? Oh, that's an interesting question too. So I came to this country as, a, as an expat. I became an immigrant and about two years ago we became citizens. So I had the whole journey. I am not sure it has a, any correlation on my management style. So it's a little bit like culture, you know. When you move to another country, you come with your culture and you experience another one. You come with your management style, which could have been working well or not, but fully working well in, in your previous country. And if you try to apply it directly uh, that way to a new environment, it might, uh, might not always work. So I definitely had to change my uh, management style. I'm not sure I've changed it enough uh, because I, I, I know... It could take a while for some people to fully appreciate it. But yeah, I mean, the, the fact that I moved from one country to another gave me the opportunity to expand also my management style, to be more versatile in, in what I can offer here. And, and uh, one very, I mean, typical example is, you know, in France, we never tell people when they do good things. A good thing is the base. You know, it's only when they do exceptional things, which does not happen all the time, that you spend some time to tell them. 
And uh, in the US, it's not exactly like that. You need to tell the people that what you have done is great, but they can, it's good, but they can do better, you know. And uh, that's something, uh, it took me a while before I've been able to give positive feedback before negative feedback, you know. And it was not negative feedback. It was like an improvement. And, and I've learned now you need to tell five good things before you say one thing to improve. I'm still struggling with that a little bit. I, I, I hope I became much better, but I'm still struggling with that a little bit. That's, that's really neat. I think uh, coming from, an, you know, I'm Iranian in origin. So that is, you know, we're very direct and quick to point the negative and what could be improved. So I could see how could that be difficult, you know, moving as a director, you know, and having a team. For many cultures, it is hard to hold back negative feedback. You know what I mean if you've been managed by someone from Russia, Germany, or Israel. Of course, we're generalizing here a little bit, right? But as Fred pointed out, he needed to make certain changes here in order to manage multicultural teams. As managers, we have to understand how to give feedback. And as employees, we have to understand how to receive it. Coaching tip. If you're an employee managed by someone who's culturally different, understand their culture a little bit and don't take things personally so what advice would you give to someone who is a minority and wants to be where you are the first advice would be believe believe in 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 uh, what you you want to do and something will happen you know might sound very candid but uh there are people who have said, do what you like to do and you will have the feeling that you are not working every day. Or other people have said, pick the right thing for you and you will become very good at that and many opportunities open for you. And, and that's what I mean by believe. One day I was on vacation and it was in a hotel. And the, one of the guys from the hotel was showing us the, the stars. You know? And he had a long uh, telescope and we could see the stars. And he was very knowledgeable. And at some point, I said, how did you learn? I mean, it's incredible. You know a lot about the stars. He was the hotel guy, and everybody can learn about the stars, but because it was his passion, you know. And, and, uh, and he said, yeah, I know a lot, but nothing next uh, compared to this guy and the guy next to me. And I said, why does he say you know more about the stars? And he said, well, maybe because I've been to the space three times. And the guy, so I had a discussion with him. And, uh, and he told me, you know, that's something I really wanted to do. And I wrote to the guy who has been the first one to work on the moon, Armstrong. And he replied to my letter and he said, do what you like to do. You will become a world expert. And one day you will have the opportunity to go to the stars. And the guy studied like crazy, he liked engineering. And then he added up a degree in medicine. But he applied what was amazing for me to hear. He applied, I think, 23 times in a row every year to the NASA program. And it's only on the 23rd one he got um, accepted. And that's, that's for me, and that's a story I say very often because to me, and not because I met a guy who went to the star, but very much because it's, uh, if you believe, you believe in what you want to do, if you uh, demonstrate uh, enough passion about it, 
one day it will happen. And if it's not exactly the version of your dream, it's going to be a version of your dream, which I want to believe uh, will be nevertheless fulfilling. What do you think makes you who you are? Well, I think it's many things. You know, it's um, I've been lucky uh, to meet uh, great people who have been great mentors, and that's always needed to push you up a little bit. I think I think I've been also lucky, uh, yeah, to to be given this opportunity. So people claim it's not only luck; you search for them or you create them. That's true, but. You know, sometimes it luck helps a little bit. And uh, but I think what uh, has uh, helped me to be who I am, and it's always very difficult to talk about yourself, I think, but uh, I would say maybe resilience. If you ask uh, uh, my uh, people around me, what is one word which would create, uh, uh, I mean, which summarize me, besides humor, I hope they would say that, uh, I'm not sure it's good humor. They would say some kind of humor. But uh, uh, I think resilience, or it's not stubbornness. It's more being strong and resilient and resistant are trying to achieve the goal you want to achieve. Wow. Stop, stay, stop saying wow, Mira. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit them out. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think influenced your life the most? Uh, it depends which part of my life and at which cycles, but my father has been, uh, I mean, my parents overall, but uh, and my, my father has been a big influencer, as well as my mother, my wife, my kids, uh, the mentor I've been lucky to uh, meet during my professional careers. They are the, the big influencers. How do you choose a mentor? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure you choose a mentor, you know. It's, uh, I'm a believer that there is a lot of uh, chemical reaction in, in people's interactions. And uh, sometimes you meet people and very soon after you know that you want to meet him again and you want to go deeper in the questions. And, uh, and if there is the same chemistry on the other side, I think that's when you start to create a stronger relationship, and then maybe take it to a mentorship type of a, a relationship. And I don't think you choose, I don't think you choose neither to become a mentor, something which is happening because there is a good click in between the two people's personality, the two people's needs also, you know, and, and uh, things happen relatively naturally. I, I'm, I'm a strong believer in, in letting uh, life and biology do things. I'm not um, attached or, I mean, I'm not religious. I don't believe in any God, uh, but I, I believe in human beings. And, and, uh, and I think um, things are meant to happen in a, in a certain way. My, my point is um, things happen in between human beings, good and bad sometimes, you know. And we have a tendency to focus a lot on the bad sometimes because it's more helpful. But... Opening your eyes and, and looking at the good things and the good relationship and trying to make it a little bit deeper, I think brings a lot to people. You still have mentors? Yeah, I couldn't live without mentors. Oh, you couldn't live without mentors? I think so, yeah. I reached out to one 
no later than an hour before our call. What stage at your life or your professional life did you start having mentors? I think from the very beginning, you know, when you start a job, and especially I'm coming from a country where you, when you are a student, you, you don't do a job. You know, in France, it's a very linear education curriculum where you go to school and one day you say, school is over, go to work. And uh, when you arrive there, I mean, it's a brand new, you've done a couple of internships here and there, but it's very different. You know, you are by yourself. And uh, so from that day, I, I found, uh, I remember the first guy I would uh, consider as a mentor. I haven't talked to him for ages. Uh, he's retired now and so on. But uh, as I said, I, was, I started my uh, career as a sales rep. He was my uh, sales manager and uh, he taught me many things. And which have helped me to be more successful and from there led to something else. And, and I've always been uh, in contact with uh, all these people. In this case, it was in France, 1994. So I've lost a little bit track of him. But, uh, but it's a good question. I will, I will try to reconnect. This was great. I truly enjoyed this conversation. And... Um... Really appreciate this time that you've given me. My pleasure. You know what I loved about Fred? His humor. This was one of the most fun interviews I've had so far. And I think many of us can benefit from adding more humor to our professional lives. I personally have two distinct modes. The fun, humorous Mehran and the serious Mehran. The serious Mehran shows up at work and discussions. My life would be much, much, much easier if I could sprinkle some humor to my work discussions as well. What was your takeaway? What was your favorite part? Write it down and act upon it. You know, I put a big smiley face in my office to remind myself of my new goal. What will you do to make sure you act upon your lesson? As always, thank you for listening and sharing our immigrant stories with your friends and your colleagues. You, my audience, mean the world to me, and I know I will see you and your friends in the next episode of Empowering Conversations, where all of us can learn from successful immigrants one conversation at a time. 